Welcome to Cold Water Podcast. I'm Nicola Halton. We all know the importance of getting out there and doing a great work for Jesus. In this podcast, we will learn more about the people who are involved in changing lives for good, for God. I would like to welcome Barry Woodward, author of Once an Addict, to Cold Water Podcast. How long have you been in ministry, Barry, and what is it, what is it that Proclaim Trust does? Uh, probably about 20, just over 24 years ago, I set up Proclaim Trust. I set up Proclaim Trust when I was a student at Cliff Bible College. That was my second year at college. I set it up to act as an administration base for the work that I was going to be doing after leaving Cliff College, which is to work alongside local churches uh, in their missional endeavours and also work with chaplaincies to reach out to prisoners. So it's it, we, we, we don't do lots of things, but we do a few things and we try to do, to do them really, really well. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, how has your book, Once an Addict, reached prisons? And how many prisons has your book reached? Well, uh, my book, Once an Addict, came out in 2007, May 2007. And I said to my trustees, I, I, we, we want to raise funds to give a copy of this to every single prisoner. So over the years, since 2007, prison population has changed. It's gone up, it's gone down. But right now, it's probably around 84,000 prisoners. That's in the whole of the UK. So we set off with this project to give a copy to every prisoner in the country, or in the countries, the United Kingdom. And... To date, we've sent nearly 50,000 copies of that book out free of charge. So I would say every prison in the UK have, has had it. Yeah. And some prisons have had it because we, we send like, we sent 70 books here, 70 books there. In the earlier days, we sent we send 500 to one prison, 1,000 to another. So the idea was to send volumes of books out, not just the odd one, because we didn't want to just send one or two out. We want to send lots and lots to actually saturate the prisons with the book. And we have done that. And what we found, the knock-on effect of that has been we, we get letters from prisoners, which I respond to. We see people finding Christ in prisons, which is fantastic. That's what it's about. Mm -hmm. So for me, that has been a, an exciting project that we've been like a laser on it. We've not stopped. And that's been, I think that's been the, the, the key, really, is starting a project. And I get ideas all the time, but I've, I've, I've put those ideas aside, unless they're to do with the few things that we do, because I didn't want to get sidetracked. And we've just, we've just been like a laser beam, getting the books into prisons, raising funds, getting the books into prisons. And that's enabled us to reach as many people as we have I've done since 2007, since the book came out. Wonderful. Um, I've read the book twice. Um, I read it a few years ago and I read it again recently. My, it brought my husband to tears, um, you know, towards the end. He really was moved by it. So I do recommend anyone who get to get a copy of Once an Addict. It's it's very, very good. Um, I was going to talk about, I'm going to ask a jump to question, a different question here. How has lockdown affected how you do things? It's changed the way that we've done things. It's not stopped us doing things. 
I was doing an interview with a, a friend. I'd been, I'd, there's a church in Aberdeen called Kings and, and I've been going to that church for a number of years speaking and I did something online with them. And then there were, there, I did an interview after I'd done this online event with them and uh, Elizabeth, the wife of the, the pastor, uh, Ian, uh, she said, uh, what we've noticed with you, Barry, during lockdown is you've not stopped where some people have stopped. Yeah, yeah. You could have taken a, an holiday, you could have mm-hmm. had a break, but yes. you've kept going and that's encouraging. And that's what we've done. We've kept going. We haven't stopped. We've kept going, but we've adapted like churches have adapted. So I've been in my little, my home office here, which you'll see the lights. You, you, yes. you won't see the lights, but people listening, there's lights in the background and stuff like that. And it, it turns into a studio. So I've got cam, not the camera that we're speaking through now, but I've got a proper camera that we, mm-hmm. we film with. And I've been filming talks. So uh, I would say during lockdown, I've filmed uh, maybe about 35 online talks or for, for, church, for churches and then probably just as many for prisons. Yes. So we've adapted, but also I've been able to do things in person, mm-hmm. Nicholas. So uh, over the last 12 months, the, the rules have been different in England and Wales and Scotland. So if a church has booked me and they've requested me to come, and the law has allowed it because I can travel because it's work purposes, because this is my job. Mm-hmm. And, and and they're allowed to meet and worship or to hold an outreach event that's social distancing because that's all I do, really, outreach events. Then I've gone. So I've done about 15, maybe I did six last week. I was in Scotland for a week. So I did six yeah. outreach events all in person. So mm-hmm. I've probably done 21 outreach events in the last 14 months, which for me isn't a lot because I could do that in a month sometimes. But actually to still serve the church to still be able to do outreach events during lockdown has been really good. And also to be able to use my home office or turn my home office into yeah. a studio and to provide online content yeah, for, for churches and prisons. And the, I think for the prisons has been really good because when I go, cause I speak in prisons, I speak in around mm-hmm. 30 prisons a year, all mm-hmm. of them have been postponed. We're waiting for them to open up again. But a lot of the jails is particularly in Scotland. They have got facilities to stream. So they have a, a, a DVD player, they put a DVD in and then that gets played in all the cells. Yeah. So uh, some chaplains have been doing church services that way because they can't meet in groups. So we have been producing content for mm-hmm. prison chaplains to stream. And that for us has increased our reach. Yes. So we've been able to reach. I mean, there's a there's a a, a secular organisation that produces uh, educational content for prisons. They are in like nearly eighty percent of the prisons in the UK. Well, they have been streaming our fixed conference. So it's a secular organisation, but they've mm-hmm. seen the value in our content and they've filmed our fixed conference over four Sundays because we actually edited a version that was going to work in prisons. So you think of the reach has been immense for us. We've it's reached amazing. more people. In, yeah. in the last 14 months than we have done in, I've been doing prison ministry for maybe 14 years. We've reached more people in the last 14 months than we have in 14 years. So that's yes. been really good. It's and we amazing. can keep doing that. So yes. we've adapted and there's some things that are going to transfer over with us into the new season that's coming out that started, you know, as we're coming out of lockdown. Yeah. yeah so that's amazing. It is brilliant. I am. Um, I just want to, give a really hard question now um, and I'm sorry about this but would you like to share your testimony for people who don't know it because doing it in such a consent con- it's such a, a long story and um, could oh. you yes 
Yeah, I mean, how long? I can do it in a minute. I can do it in fifteen right. minutes. You know, how long do you well, want me to? You know, um, yeah, well, you can, can you can take as yeah. long as you want. But well, um, okay, I'll give you. I'll just give you the the headlines. Basically, yes. I was brought up in Salford in Greater Manchester, and in a very regular working class family, got involved with a group of guys who were experimenting taking drugs, and that seemed exciting to me. So I started to take drugs with them, and we started to go into Manchester. There was a massive uh, music scene in Manchester. There still is, and and as a kid, there was punk rock, and then the old Manchester thing happened. So it was quite an exciting time to be in Manchester if you like music. So I got involved with all of that as far as like uh, the music scene, and the, and I got involved with drug dealing, and and one thing led to another. I ended up in prison, uh, came out of prison, back to Manchester, back to the where which has always been my home, which is my home, and and just and I was on this kind of treadmill of, of committing crime, taking drugs, ending up in prison. And I came out from one prison sentence and uh, I said to my girlfriend who I, who I was with at the time, Lisa, I just want to celebrate getting out of prison. Uh, and I started a bender, taking loads of amphetamines, using loads of other drugs as well, but mainly amphetamines, staying awake, keep, keeps you awake. And I stayed awake for like nine months, wouldn't let myself sleep, just taking drugs, listening to music, taking drugs, listening to music, non-stop. And then all of a sudden I started to hear voices and I said to Lisa, can you hear those voices? Nobody, it's all in your head. Don't you tell me it's all in my head. What, what makes you think that? And these voices ended up, ended up oppressed. And I was, I was frightened of these voices. I had a feeling in my stomach, like, like, like anxiety, doctors would call it. But it was like fear. I was scared. I wouldn't go outside the front door. Eventually, I went to see a doctor and the diagnosis was amphetamine psychosis. And I got sent to Cheetah Royal Psychiatric Hospital. And I was in there for quite a few weeks. And, uh, and basically... Flash forward nine years, I was still hearing these voices. I had to live with these voices uh, for for nine years. And then I ended up getting invited to church. And I walked into church, they were banging tambourines and waving flags around. I'm thinking, these guys are all basket cases. I came in here to get away from people who are on drugs. Mm-hmm. But in that church, something happened. The guy at the end said, if you want to be prayed for, for anything, come to the front. I thought, I've got loads of things I want to be prayed for. I went to the front, I got prayed for, and it was like a light bulb came on. Came yeah. on. yeah. And straight away, the voices went. The 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 drugs that I'd been taking within four weeks, I was off all the drugs, and I haven't taken drugs since. And that episode in that church became the big turning point in my life because then I realised that God could take my mess and turn it into a message, mm-hmm. that he could take my negative experiences and use them in a positive way. So that's when I went, I spent a year doing uh, outreach with an organisation in Accrington with a guy called Brian Jackson. He run a, an organisation called NETS. It was called Northern Evangelical Trust, who have done stuff up at, at Bush, by the way. They've done stuff yes. with, with, with Jim. And I spent a year with them and that's where I started to speak. They did tent missions on council estates and stuff like that. And that's where I got my first opportunities to speak. Then I went to Cliff College, set up Proclaimed Trust. And as I said before, that was, ever since then, we've been working with local churches and in prisons. Right, brilliant. It's, it's, it's a very, your story is, is, is wonderful. You just unpack everything really well. So thank you. Um, this, this, I've got several questions generated from that. Um, I'll, I'll stick with ones that I've planned. One of the things that I noticed in your book was you've got an ability to stay well. And what you're doing now is you stay well. How do you keep yourself fit and well, not dipping back into mental health? Um, I know that that is a challenge for lots of people who've had mental health, how to not move back into it. I think for me, I never see it doesn't always happen the same way to everybody, does it? You see, so I had this experience in a church 
And that church was praying for me. I started to pray. They taught me how to pray. And so my reliance became God. Yes. So I used to watch, I watch TV now, of course I do. But in the old days before I become, I, the TV was on all the time. Uh, when I wasn't into the music, when I was, you know, after they started to hear these voices. So I got rid of my telly. I got rid of my video players. Some of the listeners might remember video players and those big cassette tapes. And I got rid of it and I started to read the Bible and started to pray. And they had a little desk that I got from the secondhand shop down the road, like a fold-out uh, school desk. And I had my Bible on there and I would highlight things and I spent, I just read the Bible and I would pray. So that's what, that became my my textbook really for recovery because I didn't, mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't even get, I didn't know the word recovery until recent yeah. years. It was not, we, we, we was that become a Christian and God has set me free. And then, but then I realized of course, over the years that, that, that doesn't always happen. And there's these different tools that people use like the 12 steps and other uh, things that are there to help, which is all fine and good. It's not one way fits all or one way suits mm. all. There's all different methods. But I think for me, it's, it's just been that thing that I've got my reliance on God I've got a purpose for living and there's no reason to go back. And I I keep myself well in that way. And knowing the freedom that I have in Christ, I am free. I'm as free as anybody else in Christ. You know, I I don't feel there's any restrictions on my life because I was once an addict Mm -hmm. and that's making a statement because some people don't quite get that. When this guy says he was once an addict, you're not always an addict. No, I call my book once an addict because I was once an addict and now I'm clean. So, and I understand we have to be careful what, what we say to people who are in recovery and have got me- mental health issues because some people need support. Some people need that s- a sponsor, but I can only talk about my journey. And my journey has been that it's the God thing has been the massive thing. And that is still the massive thing in my life. And out of that, I've got my purpose. And obviously I, I, during lockdown, another positive thing is I started to, to run with my wife. I was never, I'm a very active person. I'm a very busy person, usually before lockdown. And even during lockdown, I've kept myself busy with certain things because that's how I'm wired. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a lazy person at all. I, I don't like, you know, I remember John Andrews saying when he was teaching at Mattersea Hall once when I was a probationary LG minister, uh, minister, he said, God never uses a lazy man. Right. Uh, and, and that hit me. And I, was, I wasn't lazy then, but that's one quote that I always remember that John uh, mentioned when he was when he was doing stuff at Mattersea uh, a number of years ago, when I were, before he became the principal. That is, uh, so and that for me has been the so I'm been at, I stay active. And during lockdown, I've been running, doing five k's and all of that. I'm not I'm not one of these hyperfit persons. No. I'm still you know I can, but yeah, for me that gives me my work life balance, and I can maintain this level of intensity in, in my ministry because of that you know yeah 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 thank you thank you because it, it did strike me that thought you know you didn't you didn't move you didn't shift position once you were saved that was it you were you 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 focused so that's that's you know that's really struck me in the in the book um what would you say to somebody who is going to dabble in recreational drugs um someone who isn't you know a, a car you know a deep addict yeah, I would say I've done interviews, lots of interviews, Nicola, over the years with with mainstream media, the BBC and, and Sky and all of that. And 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 people say it's a cliche, but you you've got to say no and count the cost of that choice. Mm-hmm. And some people think, well, we can just smoke weed and not do something else. Well, I don't know anybody. I know hundreds 
of junk smackheads. I've known hundreds over the years are heroin addicts to be more politically correct, but I have no problem with calling myself an ex-smackhead because that's what I was. But if you come to my fixed conference, we have 500 people there. A lot of them have come through the drugs route. Some of them are alcoholics because you know it's still an addiction, of course it is. But all those guys who have ended up on heroin or crap, they've all started smoking weed. I started smoking, I started drinking cider when I was a kid at school, you know, mm-hmm. cider and, and going to before going to the youth club with my mates. That was my that was my little opening. So just count the cost of the choice. Because I say this when I go into schools, because I do speak in schools. For me, I'd I'd done recreational drugs, and I remember it was a Friday night, we're in Jackie Marshall's bedroom, and one of the lads came in and says, Hey guys, I've got some heroin who wants some. And I remember the look on everybody's faces. Everybody went quiet. And Huey, he was always, uh, sorry, Craig was always the first to jump in. He said, I'm up for it. And then everybody else went, I'm up for it. And I was the last one yeah. to take the heroin. And they're all going, come on, Woody, it's your turn. And I'll never forget thinking, I don't want to be the odd one out. Yeah. Sometimes people get put into that situation, not that you're the only one who's not done it and you feel left out, you know, and the peer pressure of people, come on, come on, come on. I'm not blaming my friends for the choice that I made because I'm responsible for my own choices. Mm-hmm. If I'd have said no to say, said if I'd have said no that night, my life would have turned out a lot different. Yeah. I don't think I'd be where I am now because mm-hmm. of it's that journey that's got me where I am now with God using my past the way that he does. Yeah. But God redeems things. <clears throat> but So I would say, think about, count the cost of the choice. If I say yes to this, what's how's that going to affect my future yeah. and don't think you can just say yes to one drug smoking weed because eventually you're going to think how does cocaine make you feel because mm-hmm. you get a bit bit fed up with smoking weed i'll try cocaine one friday so cocaine one friday night and then you have a little bit of coke and then you, you feel out that makes you feel that's an old different experience oh that's another experience how does ecstasy make you feel and that's how it goes it's one thing after the other and um, not everybody ends up on heroin but some people no. end up with massive coke habits you know a massive ecstasy habits uh you know hdhd so it's kind of like you've just got to be Yeah, astute. Um, And I I was a young person and um, yeah, I made some terrific mistakes. You know, I would say I was very rebellious. Um, And coming back from those mistakes is is not the easiest, um, you know, but God does forgive you for them. Um, The last question I've got, Barry, is the power of prayer. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I believe in prayer massively. It's always been a massive part of my life because uh, when I became a Christian, I started le- reading a lot of books by a guy called Ian Bounds. He was a he, he basically done a lot of praying. He was a, a Methodist minister, an old school back in the day. But a lot all his publications got found after he after he passed away, and all he wrote about was prayer and some of the revelation. It was just spiritual nourishment. And I was reading these as a, only been a Christian a year, you know. Yeah. So prayer became a massive part of my journey what I've done over the years though I used to I, I woke up this morning I, I came down in my room here I came down here for maybe 45 minutes say this morning at two o'clock came down and had to pray while my wife's upstairs and I went back to bed I do that often not every yes. every day but I could do that three or four or five times a week depending mm-hmm. uh, but maybe not sometimes 
uh, a prayer drive in my car because I've had to change the way that I do it because it's kind of like, so now I'll drive into Manchester, the city, this my, my town, my city, and I'll drive through areas where I've lived, where I've sold drugs, people that I've known, people that I've ripped off, old relationships, and I pray for those people. I pray yeah. for their families, their, their, the families, their, the family of their families. And so I, I find different, but prayer is the key. Yes, it is. Prayer, prayer, prayer is the most the most spiritual thing somebody can do, and I think yeah, I, I do spend time in the Bible, of course I do, uh, and I read my devotions. But for me, prayer is the most because that's my that's my contact with God. So I've got my time of of getting right with God. I've got my time of praising God, and I found you know as a as a as a charismatic, I found you know during lockdown, I've been praying in tongues a lot. Yeah. And it's not something I've been intentionally doing. So I start to drive going on my afternoon because of the afternoon because of these the new the rules. I mean, I can go for a drive and I'll go for a drive for I'll pray for about an hour, an hour and a half. But as I find, because I pray in tongues, because sometimes you can't, you don't, you know, you, you then it's, it's, it's you're just praying in tongues. But I found that my praying in tongues has turned into like singing in tongues while I'm driving. And that's, and I think that's, that's, a, that's not me because sometimes we can turn it on, can't we? We can decide to, singing mm-hmm. talks it's just been so that's what i'm finding right now it's really interesting but yeah prayer for me is the key it is um i was just i was one of the questions i was going to ask was um we talk about churches that are dry and we need churches to pray and to get around people and to continue to to do that so um we don't need churches that aren't praying you know that they, they really need to be moving so yeah so Yes. Yeah, we do. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, everybody prays differently, don't they? I mean, the, the thing is, every everybody, every individual, every Christian should be a praying Christian. Yeah. What I've learned over the years is that different communities pray in different ways. So I became a Christian in a charismatic church. Uh, and and I've just realised that I said HDMA for ecstasy, by the way, and it's MDMA. But that's my mistake <laughs> before. Just realise I'm HDMA, it's not HDMA, MDMA. But anyway, yeah, but just, just to clarify that. Yeah. So, but I've realised, so I became a Christian in a charismatic church. Okay. They prayed in tongues, they sang in tongues. And then I went off to a Methodist Bible college. So obviously there's Methodists that pray in tongues and there's charismatic Methodists, of course there are. But I found that their community... When I remember coming down, we had there's a chapel in Cliff College, and we came down to chapel every morning during the week, five days a week, to pray for 15 minutes. Pray, and there'd be a little word, maybe, but it was mainly prayer. And they came down, I remember that it was the principal, Howard Mell at the time. He said, right, we're just going to pray for this. We're going to pray that, pray for other. And he bowed his head, and he went quiet for five minutes. And he said, amen. I'm thinking, nobody's prayed. It's just been quiet. Yeah. Nobody's prayed anything. Because I was a young Christian, and I'd been learned to ranting and raving and walking up and down and pacing, which was the, the what I was taught. So then I actually, as I got into Cliff College, I finally, I found the value in silent praying. Yeah. And that you can pray silently. So yes. some communities pray differently. Yeah. And I pray in my room when I'm on the road or even last night when I came down here this morning, when I came down, mm-hmm. I didn't pray. I would just lay there or kneeling down and then I lay on the floor just praying silently. So People pray in different ways, and I think all churches should be praying, but whatever their style is for their community, it needs to be right up there on the agenda. Uh, but yeah. We've got to acknowledge that people do things differently. You know. Yes, thank you. You've, you've really clarified that wonderfully. Thank you so much. I'm going to let you go now and get on with your, your day, but thank you for, for joining me. Okay. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you, thank you for having Thanks. me.
you for listening to the Coldwater Podcast. Please remember to subscribe and join next week. <laughs>